0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on My Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. We are in a new series entitled, No Filter, the True You. Uh, and when it comes to your identity in Christ, uh, nothing should filter your identity, not you or anyone else. God wants you to know who you are. I want you to strap in, okay, get ready, because we're going to look at one of the densest verses in the Bible. In the original Greek, it was just one sentence of 202 words. English majors, you're going crazy in your head right now. You're thinking run-on city, but I want you to take a chill pill because when they translated it to the English we put a few periods in there, and they made it more than one verse. Uh, it's going to be actually like 12 verses. So if you have your Bibles, go with me right now to Ephesians chapter 1, opening up the scriptures, and we love the Bible. If you remember, verses 1 and 2, Paul addressed the believers in Ephesus and the believers here at Christ's place by calling us saints. Now he's going to explode into a eulogy, praising God and underscoring who you are in Jesus. Starting with verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, say blessed, blessed us in Christ. I want you to notice how often that's mentioned. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the what? Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his I'm catching my breath here. We're not done yet. Keep reading. Look at this. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose of Him who works all things according to His counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise and His glory. Verse 13. In Him you also, you being us, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in In him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, come on, people, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Woo! One sentence in the Greek. 12 verses in English, power-packed as Paul's exploding here with the blessings that come to those who are in Christ in him, in the beloved. You saw it repeated in scripture. What's going on with this? I love how Paul starts with this introduction, this eulogy. We're talking about God, the father of, of, of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he closes with the seal of the Holy Spirit, that we have the three in one with us. Come on. How amazingly cool is that? You say, Rick, well, okay, I I get that maybe this is like a eulogy of praise to God. Well, he's underscoring something. He's underscoring. He's putting it in bold for us that we can be secure in Christ. Which brings me to a story that uh, I'm not necessarily real proud of. happened several years back uh, when I had some insecurities actually surface. I was speaking at a national youth forum and it was actually just 50 elite leaders from around the nation. These were some of the best leaders in the nation and were were specialists with youth ministry. And I felt extremely honored having an opportunity to be on this stage and speak to these 50 leaders. Uh, Having grown up with a speech impediment as a young boy, uh, I felt like, whoa, this was a big deal that God had taken me this far. And I mean, who would have thought that God would use a, a storm, a, a former stuttering child, to preach to national leaders? Uh, I mean, a boy who came from a small town in Nebraska. So I thought, man, this was quite the big deal. I sure would have never have guessed it when I first gave my life to Jesus. Well, uh, lo and behold, a couple of days prior to the event, I get really sick. I mean, not kind of sick, not a little bit of a cold. I was feverish, cold chills, feeling awful. Probably should have canceled, but did I cancel? No. Uh, Rick's a man of grit. He's going to push through. So I'm going to preach anyway. Hey, may never have this opportunity. I'm going to do it. Um, Well, you probably know where this is going. Uh, I can't tell you what I said. I can't even tell you how I delivered the message. I have no idea what I said. All I know is it went bad. I remember laying in bed next to my wife in a five-star hotel lamenting how horrible my, my speaking, my, my message went to those leaders. And I was so worried about what these other elite leaders thought of me. And it just went on and went on. And I'm, I'm still breaking out in like these cold sweats. But in the midst of being in, the, in, in that wallow, wallowing in my sickness, I was actually wallowing in a pity party. And my wife just lovingly let me share and pour out my heart and eventually somewhere in between a breath she finally spoke up and she she didn't call me like she normally calls me hunk a hunk of burning love (laughs) but she didn't say that this time i think she just used the name rick (laughs) she asked a really good question she said rick what's what's more important what they think of you or what god thinks of you and there it came the clash of my condition in life at that moment with my position of who I am in Christ. And I had allowed my personal condition to skew my perspective from seeing what really mattered in life and who I really was. I was talking to a good friend who reminded me of some language we've used around here at Christ's Place before. If you can know whose you are, you can know who you are. And if you know who you are, You know how you need to live. And this clash happens with all of us. There isn't a person in the house that hasn't experienced insecurity. There's not a person in the house that won't be insecure at some point. I don't care how successful uh, you are or they are. Everybody has experienced insecurity and at some point will experience insecurity. In case you're not sure what that means, and I get it. For some people, they don't even want to talk about being insecure because maybe it makes them feel like they're weak or They're somehow not not, um, capable. But let's right now, let's just create a level playing field and let's just acknowledge that insecurity is a part of being a human being. That insecure means we're unsettled or we're not firmly fixed. Matter of fact, an insecure person means that at times they're not confident in themselves or they're not confident in a situation. It means at some point, they begin to doubt themselves and their own abilities. The the difficulty with insecurity is it creates a tentativeness in our behavior. It means we hold back. And if you're a person of faith and you're insecure in your faith, it keeps you from being a person that takes a bold move in faith. It keeps you from ever being able to step up and be who God has predestined you to be. This is a really big deal, man, because it, it not only like, makes you have tentative behavior, but you begin to actually doubt your calling and your ability to succeed in your career. Furthermore, this is the, probably the, one of the worst parts about it, is that insecurity drives us to find security in the wrong things. We start looking for security in our finances. We, we try to get security in our jobs. We try to get security in our relationships. And we start over, uber emphasizing security in those and minimizing who we are in Jesus. And here's the crazy thing, my friend. This is the thing no one wants to talk about. But placing your security in the wrong things can be more damaging to you than living with insecurity in the right things. So this is a big deal. Paul's trying to say, that's why he explodes with this message of you becoming secure in who you are in God, that you understand whose you are and who you are and, and what that difference that can bring. It can bring such a foundation in your life that you can springboard off it into your relationships, into your jobs, into your, your friendships, into your family, your church family, and God will use you. As I was um, studying and, and praying for you, I felt like God say to me, said to me, Rick, tell them how secure they are in me. How secure they are in me. You're secure in God. What we're going to do today is really try to understand and live in this blessing. Understand it. So there are five things, and there's really more, but I want to focus on five things that Paul brings up that are part of our blessing. And your very first fill in the blank has to do with adoption, that Paul talks about this, that we, have, we are uh, adopted to himself, this adoption to himself. I love that. I love that and what the scripture says. And language is so important because as you know, when we began this eulogy, this, 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 this passage, God brought up that he's a father. So he's adopted us to himself. In the ancient days, the father had to approve any adoption and every single adoption there was, as soon as a child was adopted, that relationship with the father was as binding, as important as a biological child. So here we see one of the first things that that man in this explosion of, of blessings, Paul is saying, for those who are in Christ, they have the blessing of adoption. I love that. Language is a big deal. Do you know that forty percent of the kids, I thought of this last night again, 40% of the kids that go to bed every single night, go to bed without a father. Many of these kids will never experience the unconditional safe love of a daddy. They'll never have someone to walk them down the aisle. They'll never have a dad taking pictures of them at their first prom. And then there are those in the house who you had a dad and, but he wasn't a good dad. He abused you. He abandoned you. And this is why the subject of the father's heart and God as a father is so important to us as a church and to the Western world and specifically, specifically to those who hear us here at Christ's place. God wants you to know that as a father, he has chosen to adopt you. That if you've given your life to Christ, if you've believed in him, then he wants you to know you're all his. He's adopted you. And all the privileges that come with that adoption this is such a, such a big deal. Did you know that in the scriptures, Father in the Old Testament is only mentioned, God as a father is only mentioned 14 times. 14 times. And it's all always referring to God as a father of the nation. It's never individual. It's never personal. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he starts talking about his father. And he starts talking to us about talking to God about being our father. Remember, he says this, when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. This is, this was revolutionary. They wouldn't even want to say the name of God. And now Jesus is saying, hey, he's not just God. He is your father. He's your father. This was so intimate, so endearing. He's a dad who loves you. He's, he's affectionate. He loves you and wants to be with you. I just think this is such a pretty cool thing. 60 times, Jesus uses the word father, and it's always personal and individual. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul was trying to teach this to the Christians in Rome, again, who were surrounded by these impersonal gods. And he said, hey, uh, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Rather, you received a spirit when God adopted you, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. That's an important, important word, Abba. In Aramaic, it's it's, it's endearing, it's intimate. It's like what a young child says, Dada. Or an older child says, Daddy. There are even some of us in the room here, we're uncomfortable with that kind of emotion, but you need to know God's not. That he has adopted you and he longs for you to become, to grow in your relationship to the place where you call him Abba, you call him your daddy. It's a revolutionary thing, church. So let me just say this. If, if you can hear my voice right now and you don't you, understand this thing about the father heart of God, you need to know this that he, he longs for you to understand he went out of his way to adopt you. To make you His own, that you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who listens to you. You have a Father in heaven who wants to bless you, and I, as your pastor, want you to relate to Him as a father. Can we just thank God that that He has blessed us with adoption? Come on, somebody. I just think that is so good, so good. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He continues in this eulogy to blessings and and the way God has blessed us. And not only has God adopted us, and it's your next fill in the blank, but. The blessings of redemption. It's like this fireworks display of blessings that God has given us. And he says, yes, we're adopted in him as our father. But he says we're also redeemed by him. Now, in our culture, we use the language addiction when we're referring to something that has us. Something that's harming us. Something that's, that, that we can't get a rid of. Something that is somehow destroying us. In the Bible days, they used the word Slavery. Because it was something they, at times, could not get away from. It was harming them. It was destroying them. It was enslaving them. And and what this language is trying to communicate to God's people, that we are redeemed, is that we have been rescued. We have been set free. That you have a story of being freed, my friend. And I don't know what the background of your story, some of you keep trying to hide your story, but God says, no, I'm the one who takes the mess and makes it a message. I have a story to tell through you it's just not god you living for god it's god living through you and he wants to rescue you and this cool thing about this word redemption and all of its derivatives you can trace it all back to the old testament to the book of exodus and to the children's of israel's exodus or deliverance from slavery in egypt and they celebrated that that deliverance with a thing called passover the celebration of Passover. It was a feast that that celebrated the time when they sacrificed lambs and and, and they painted the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. And death then passed over all the homes that had the blood over their doorpost. And they call it the Passover. And that's why Paul in Corinthians calls Jesus the Passover lamb of God. That Jesus Christ is is the Passover. That it's through his blood, his shed blood, that our freedom Begins, my friend, that when you put your faith in Christ, you're not just putting your faith in a God who has adopted you into his family, but you are literally putting your faith in the blood that was shed for you that not only saves you for eternity, but delivers you from your addictions and your slavery of today. I love that about our God. This is the big idea that the shedding of Christ's blood begins your deliverance that we are redeemed from our addictions, from our slaveries, to worship him in freedom and with a new life. It means that we no longer accept certain sin and assume it is what it is. It means we we don't live the same way we always have lived. It means Christ has redeemed us so we can walk away from the things that want to enslave us. Now, I, I, I don't know what has enslaved you, but I feel like there are people in the house right now that Some of us were enslaved, and we've given the enemy strongholds. Well, you need to know that, that while it's wonderful to have counselors, and I believe in counseling, and, and I think a number of us, we, we, we are involved in counseling, it's all great, but you need to know that the blood of Christ is enough to begin you in the journey of your exodus from your slavery and your addictions. I don't know what it is that you may be enslaved to. It could be food. It might be Pornography. It could be being a controlling person. It may be money. It could be glory. It could be control. It could be possessions. For some of us in the house right now, it's about your convenience. You just want to go to church and you just want to sit. You're not doing anything to contribute to the family of God. Listen to me. That's slavery. That's you living in your insecurities. That's you living in your insecurities and your selfishness. And God has said, my blood has come to redeem you, to rescue you, to bring a story through you that now glorifies and praises God the Father. God has adopted you. God has redeemed you. And the beautiful thing is, you don't have to do it alone. We have these things called connect groups. And, and sometimes we keep putting that off. But the redemptive story is that you take another step. Or maybe it's a personal care group, a one-to-one person who gets in your life that, that, that becomes very familiar with the things that are trying to enslave you and ensnare you. My friend, just don't be a person that just sits in, in a pew, Pew. No, be someone that takes the land that God has for you, that there is a promised land for you, that God has a promise for your life, that he has predestined you to live more than what you are now. You're chosen. You're in him. And it's time to live like that. You're adopted and you're redeemed. Can somebody just say, thank you, Jesus. That's, man, how are y'all doing? No, how are you doing? Ooh, there you go. I didn't hear my wife. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little excited up here. I'm adopted, I'm redeemed. Paul's got this firework show going on. Here's the third thing, the blessings of forgiveness. The blessings of forgiveness, God bless you. <laughs> what haunts you? If I ask everybody in this room, I, I know you well enough to know, if you could have one do over in life, what would it be? And we'd, all have, we'd all, have, we would all have something. And for some of us, we're still living in the residual or the, the, the consequences of former sin. Maybe not even our sin, maybe sins of someone else done to us. But here's what you need to know about God's forgiveness. He doesn't keep a blacklist of all your wrongs. He doesn't even remember the last time you sinned. That God takes all of your sin and he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness. He takes your sin and he casts it as far as it is to the east and to the west and the cosmos. Never to ever see it again. And some of us, we keep bringing up our former sin, our present sin, and we've allowed it to enslave us. So in some ways, we go back to this, this whole idea of redemption and we haven't allowed forgiveness now to penetrate so deep in our heart. That our unforgiveness for ourselves or our unforgiveness for other people. We have not said this, but we're living like it is stronger than God's forgiveness to you. God's oh no, Paul says you're blessed, you're blessed with this forgiveness of your trespasses. See, God doesn't keep a list. Hear me loud and clear, because we're all going to at some point wrestle with different sin, and we're going to sin, and we got to know what we're going to do with it. For some of us, we can just deny it. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't do that. There's others of us in the house where we, we can blame somebody. Hey, they made me sin. Or there's others of us we could just diminish, we diminish it. Uh, You know, it really wasn't that big a deal. And besides, everyone else is doing it. Or we could hide it. It's like, do what? I didn't do that. Or we can actually punish ourselves, which is what a lot of us do: beat ourselves up and make ourselves pay for the sin we did. Or you could just choose to be forgiven. Wouldn't that be awesome? That God wants you to live condemnation free and with the ability to sin less, to be empowered with this new forgiveness. It's why the Bible can talk about the goodness of God leading to repentance. And the people in Ephesus, they were in such a religious environment. They either had a worker mindset or they had a debtor mindset. A worker mindset is, I've got to earn my way to get this, one of the gods or goddesses, of the goddess of Artemis, Diana, to love me. Or they had this debtor mindset where, Somehow I've got to pay God back and earn, you know, get him to love me. That still happens. People have worker mindset or a debtor mindset. You need to know you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And it's beautiful. It's good news. And, and when this news got out to, in the Ephesus community, the church grew. It exploded. God wants you to know you're, you're adopted, that you're forgiven, that you're redeemed. And, and the fireworks display goes on. He said, number four, fill in the blank, the blessings of grace. <laughs> and he doesn't just say grace. He says We've been, grace has been lavished upon us, lavished upon us. The blessing of grace is number four. Your, fifth, your fourth fill in the blank is grace. Have you ever been with somebody who's like really generous? I mean like Uber, over-the-top, ridiculous, make you comfortable, generous? Some of you are like, no? Oh, but you, it, it, it's amazing. But it's striking because we don't always experience it. You need to have an Amy in your life. You all know who Amy is. Amy is my wife. Her name, real name is Wendy. But when the grandkids were trying to call her Grammy, Amy came out. And now it's stuck. And so all the grandkids call my wife Amy. I'm Papa, and I'm so glad it didn't come out poo-poo. Lance tried. It didn't work. But Amy, I mean, the grandkids know this. She gives, and she gives, and she gives, and she gives. And, and Amy just continues to pour herself out, man. She loves these kids. She They get her 100% of her attention. She lavishes herself upon them. If they want to go to Target, they're going to Target. How do I know? Because I do the checkbook. She, she just, Amy gives and gives and gives. And this is grace. God is lavishing you with grace. And then more grace. Hey, you want more grace? Grace. And, oh, you need some more grace. It's like, whoa, stop, God. No, God, keep it coming. Grace. 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 What is grace? I mean, amazing grace. i heard her song. Well, grace it literally means unmerited favor you. you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God wants you to know that. When it gets deep in your soul, a revolution takes place. It's the picture of royalty leaving the ranks of royalty to hang out with commoners. This is, this is our father. He's adopted us. He's, he's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. And now he's lavishing grace upon us. Say grace. And then this last, I love this, this last blessing The blessing of the Holy Spirit. For those who believed in Him, you see here the conscious the decision of free will. For those who chose to believe in Him, He sealed this with the Holy Spirit. He talks about inheritance. How many of you would like inheritance? How many of you would love to have, have an inheritance? Well, sometimes when we think of inheritance, we just think of money. Uh, my, my folks have passed that way and they left us inheritance. It really wasn't money. It was some things that are really precious. They're invaluable to us. They're very meaningful to me. But here's what you need to know. That God has adopted you. And his inheritance is like none other. And someday, when you die, you receive the fullness of your inheritance. But until then, he has sealed his relationship with you by giving you the most precious thing he could give anybody, himself, and the Holy Spirit. In ancient times, when you had a prized possession, the owners would put their seal on it so that everybody would know it was that person's possession. You see, my friend, you have been purchased with the high price of God's own son. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so God is telling you, He's giving you the most precious thing he can. It's his seal of favor by the Holy Spirit living in you. This comforter, this teacher. Isn't that beautiful? So we have this, we have the blessing of adoption. We have the blessing of Redemption, we got the blessing of forgiveness, we got the blessings of grace being poured out and lavishing upon us, and then to top it all off, and it all started with the Father and the Son. He says, hey, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm coming underneath all that three in one, boom, is my seal, the Holy Spirit in you. Which begs the question for me, is what are you doing to let the mark of the Holy Spirit be visible in your life? You see, God didn't save you just to get you to heaven. He saved you that you might be a vessel of His glory and His honor, that your life could display the blessings. And we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.